You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. We're really excited for what God's uh, been doing. You know, even as Jamin was talking, I was kind of doing the math of every night, just this semester, that we've given out food to families. And uh, I think when I did the math, it was a little over 500 meals uh, this month and 500 meals worth of food. Uh, or not this month, but I mean this semester of small groups. We did about the same the last, so it's about 1,000 uh, meals of food over the past two semesters of group, which is a really, really big win. And, you know, in the COVID season, we kind of had an option of what do we do, right? We're not a uh, massive thing. And so we do not live in a world of massive budgets. Like, pretty much what goes in goes out, all these kind of things, right? We own this building. We're going to have a big rent payment, you know. We, uh, we pay our staff and all these things. And your faithful tithes are the reason we're able to do that, have such a great kids' ministry, because people faithfully give and tithe. But I, it's just been blowing my mind in that season. We're like, you know what? I kind of just told our team, like, we're going to give away more money than we've ever given away uh, during COVID. They're like, okay, you know, uh, I'm very blessed that we have an incredible staff here who's just very willing to listen to the Lord and be led, or at least they don't tell me if they're not. Um, <laughs> no, but we have just a really an amazing team, and they're like, all right, let's do it. Let's just love our community, and uh, we've been doing that now. Uh, we've always loved our community, but I mean like very, very intentionally. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you to those. I, you know, there's days we've stood up and said, listen, you know, we want to, we're going to give away, you know, a hundred pizzas this week and, or we're going to give away, you know, a hundred sets of school supplies this week. And people have said like, okay, great. You know, I'll, I'll support that. So I just want to say thank you. And also for everybody who's come to love the block, I want to say thank you because it's really, it's our goal to, as a church, not just me, this isn't my thing. This is our thing. Right, this is our ministry. These, this is, you know, these are our people in our neighborhood, in our city, that we love and care for. And so thank you for loving uh, where you live. Thank you for loving your city. Thank you for, even if you're joining online and you don't live here, but you've really caught the heart. Thank you for, for giving to that. Maybe some of you who weren't able to, to leave your home in this season, but you gave uh, faithfully and graciously. I want to say thank you. That's big. It's almost bigger because you don't even get to be there physically to see the reward. But can I tell you, as someone who is stood in the homes and talked with people, that people are experiencing the love of Jesus. So even if you're online with us today, you're a part of that, and you're a part of what happens here. So thank you so much. I'm, I am excited. Today we have um, the leadership lunch after second service, which will be awesome. Uh, we we really sat down as uh, my wife and I, and we started talking, okay, what does God have for the next season? And I was like, man, I really feel like God is calling the church to another level of leadership. And by that, I don't mean a level of power. I mean, knowing how we're led by God and how we lead ourselves and those around us and our families. And then also, you know, how we lead in church, but sp specifically like, you know, have we built that good foundation of self-leadership and being led by God? Do we have those tools? And do, you know, do we have the, the have we been empowered for that? And so we really want to empower you in being led by God and leading others. And so, again, today after service, we'll have leadership lunch. And uh, we have about 42 people come to the first one. So I really encourage you, even if you haven't signed up, uh, you can just pull out your phone right now on the Church Center app and click that sign up just so we know while they're out running to get food. Today we're going to talk about, at leadership lunch, just a little preview here before I get started, we're going to talk about how do you develop personal core values for your life. 
So the first leadership lunch, we talked about your holistic self and who you are. We talked about, you remember the PIES acronym, uh, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and social self, right? Who you are as a person. And that all of those live within you and that, you know, you have to have emotionally healthy spirituality. You have to have physically healthy emotions. They're all, they all work together, right? Social health, right? It's important. And so we, we did an evaluation. Hopefully you went and did that. Um, if not, I don't do it later. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> you can come back to it. Uh, but today we're going to talk about personal core values. As a church, we have a set of core values, missional, accessible, relational, transformational, and honorable. And we believe that those are really biblically rooted, and we have scriptures for them, biblically rooted, God-given uh, directives for us as a church. Different people, different places have different core values. Those are ours. I want to help you, and we want to help everybody develop personal core values, right? So you're ready to answer the big questions when life comes asking. Should I go here? Should I take this job? Should I do this? Well, who has God made you to be? So we want to help you with that today. Come to Leadership Lunch. It's going to be a blast, and uh, I think there's free food, yeah? Yeah, there's free food. Uh, on your seat, you might have seen when you came in a couple cards. Uh, maybe if you didn't see them, go ahead and pull those out from underneath your bottom. And uh, we, you can look at them right now. And uh, one of them is this card right here. It is colorful on the front and blank on the back. The one that's colorful on both sides is for you to give somebody. This one is for you. It looks a little different. It reminds you when the services are that we have three services so you don't come at your regular time. But then it has this blank spot on the back. And every week what we've been saying is think of someone in your life that you're going to invite to Easter and then write their name on this card and keep it somewhere you remember it. Not under the seat of your car, not in the garbage, not in the back seat of the seat. We clean these. We know who leaves them. But write a name or, or you know, no more than three, but write a name and be praying. And we're going to talk about the end of service. But say, hey, who am I going to invite to Easter? Because I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Easter is a big deal, Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a big deal. You might not have been to church before, but let me just tell you, uh, to us here, Easter is a big deal. That's why we have a million and a half palm leaves in front of the stage. Easter is a big deal. Hannah just, you did amazing. Uh, Easter is a huge deal. We make a celebration about it. It's a big day. Why? Because it's the day we remember who won. And that's Jesus Christ. It's the day we celebrate who won. Uh, Good Friday, we'll do a Good Friday service at 8 p.m. There's no child care because it's at 8 p.m., but it's uh, in person and online. Uh, and we're going to remember the cost that was paid, right? The cost that was paid for us. But on Easter, we gather on Easter Sunday, and it's a celebration Sunday. Right? We celebrate who won the victory. We, we celebrate that Jesus died on the cross for us, that he went to the grave, that he rose again, and that he invites us into the victory. And so for us as a church, Banner Church, we tell everybody we know about this because if the gospel is really transformative, if the gospel is really life-changing, if the gospel is really like our eternity, then we should probably tell somebody about it. Amen? You're like, I'm not perfect. Even better, it'll help you more clearly point to a perfect God and take no credit for it. But we have this blessing of saying, man, Easter is a big deal. But before we celebrate the resurrection, before we celebrate Easter, I want to ask the question that I love to ask on Palm Sunday uh, in preparation for Easter and prepare our hearts for Easter, and it's this. Why did Jesus have to die? You ever wonder that? 
Why did, why the whole cross, why the cross? Like if God is all powerful, couldn't he have solved this in a less graphic way? You're like, I've seen the passion. Feels like there was an easier way to do this. If you really created the universe with his words, why do we have to go through this? Why, why blood? Okay, let's just be real. First generation believers or people who have never been to a church um, and you're like in here, you trusted your friend, they brought you here and you're like, I knew it. I I knew it. They were going to talk about blood. This is what you weirdos do. Why blood? Like, why so much focus on blood? Is it just like a weird attachment to a first century brutalism? Right? Like, why, why, why blood? Why do we talk so much? Is it just make to feel, make you feel sad when you see that crucifix? Is it, what is it? Why do we focus so much on blood? Because you might have even been here. Maybe it was your first time and you heard a song, like, nothing but the blood, or by the blood, or the blood of the blood. There's a song, I think it's like, by the blood, blood. I don't know. There's a lot of songs about blood. <laughs> and you might have been like, this feels graphic, right? This feels excessive. Why do we talk so much about blood. Isn't that a bit gruesome or antiquated? But it goes back to this question, and I'm going to explain why the blood in a second, and then you'll love all the songs about the blood of Jesus, hopefully. Uh, But it's answered in the question, why did Jesus have to die? And in order to answer that question, I want to go back uh, to Exodus chapter 12, and I want to look at why, why do we focus on the death of Jesus? Why do we focus on the blood of Jesus? Why does that carry importance? And what does that mean? Because I believe if we can begin to understand some of these things, it's going to give us greater meaning for Easter, but it's also going to compel us to to invite other people to experience the truth of the gospel, right? Let's do this. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. Uh, The words are going to be on the screen. I'm going to pray for you this morning before we get started. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you this morning, God, as people are gathered here, as we're gathered here in Scottsdale and online, God, that your word speaks so loudly and so beautifully to our hearts. God, I thank you that even in those moments where we're wrestling with conviction, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but there is truth and life and freedom and power for all those that would experience a new life in Jesus Christ. And I thank you this morning. Would you just open our hearts, make them soft and willing to hear what you have to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. It is kind of crazy to think, you know, Easter for 2020, uh, we were uh, right about now preparing to go out into the uh, desert to film Easter online. How many of you guys watched that Easter online? It was pretty good. It was a lot of work. Um, It was kind of chaotic. Nick is leaving because he doesn't want to hear what I have to say. Somebody forgot bat. I'm saying. We uh, went out to the desert. Uh, We learned a lot of hard lessons about filming, and there's no place better to learn those hard lessons than miles away from electricity, which I don't know if you knew this about cameras and equipment. It needs that. Um, (laughs) And we learned some lessons, and so uh, we went out, and then we did our thing. We were trying to find a spot, and then by the time we found the spot, we had to go back and get some stuff because we were tired. And uh, if you remember that time, not a lot was open, 
And so if you needed something, you couldn't get it. And so by the time we got back, the sun had moved, so we had to go to the other side of the mountain, which sounds easy because it only took me five words to say that. But this is actually a lot of work, right? So it's going half an hour on a dirt road, half an hour on a dirt road, half an hour on a dirt road. So by the time you get there, you're feeling really good. You know, just in a car, bunch of dudes just smelling bad, right? Because you've been in the desert for an hour and a half. And so we go out and we go to film our thing and like halfway through the message, some guy pulls up in a truck and tells us that they have a lease on this public land for grazing. And I won't get you into all of that. Uh, but I disagreed that we couldn't use the space because it's public land with the, anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, and so we had to film this thing again. And I just remember thinking like, gosh, I hope next Easter is easier than this. <laughs> I remember thinking like, please, please, we're at least not filming in the desert. Like, I don't even know. If there's another pandemic, we're filming in here. You know, whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, Easter last year, Easter this year is on the 4th. Easter last year was on the 12th. Easter the year before that was on uh, the 21st. And Easter on uh, in 2018 was on the 1st. It was on April Fool's Day, which there were no good Easter sermons that year. Uh, but this year it's on the 4th. And Something I like to talk about on Palm Sunday is, have you ever wondered why Easter moves all the time, right? Like, I know what I'm going to be doing on the 4th of July, right? Regardless, I'm shooting fireworks off. I'm going to eat a hot dog, probably a steak, maybe a hot dog on a steak, and then probably shoot some fireworks off. Because that's, what I, that's how I want to celebrate our independence is by possibly going to the ER and for some variety of reasons because, you know, America, right? <laughs> but I know when that day is going to be. We don't even call it Independence Day anymore. We call it the 4th of July. Like, we know. You know when Christmas, ever, everyone know when Christmas is, right? You're like, is it a Friday or a Sunday? But it's the 25th. We know this, right? Christmas is the 25th. But Easter is the wild card of the friend group of holidays, right? You never know when Easter's going to pop up. You're trying to plan spring break. You never get it right, right? So why does Easter move all the time? Well, specifically, it moves because Easter is not built on our calendar. It's built on the Jewish calendar. I don't know if you knew this, but there's this weird myth going around that Christianity is a Western religion. So let me put that out of your mind and say Christianity is not a Western religion. It did not come from the West. You know where it came from? The East, which would make it a, someone guess, Eastern religion. Our geography is rocking today. Right? <laughs> it came from places like Syria and Asia Minor and Lebanon, right? It did not originate in London and Oxford, though it grew out of those places, right? But a lot of our heritage is through Israel. Jesus came first to restore his people. His people were the Israelites. And so a lot of, we don't use a lot of Jewish holidays. We don't celebrate a lot of Jewish holidays, which is kind of a shame, but the a lot of what we do celebrate is based off Jewish holidays. Everyone still with me? Okay, good. I was making sure I made that transition right. Because part of our heritage is this understanding. And so what we're celebrating on Easter is a connective part of history. So why does Easter move? A couple reasons. One, Easter is based on the lunar calendar. Lunar calendar. Everyone pull out your lunar calendar. <laughs> no? No, I don't have one either. If you have one, let me know after service. But Easter always follows Passover. Someone say Passover. Pa 
Okay, I'm going to tell you when is Passover, okay? And uh, I'll explain in first service, this is a great line. You put this in your back pocket, you're ever in an argument, you want to seem smart, but you want to diffuse it with a little bit of chaos, throw this baby in, and uh, you'll be set. You ready? Okay, here's when Passover is. Passover is the first Thursday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. You're like, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> okay, let's do it one more time. Just get this in your mind. Here we go. You can, you can write it down, too. Online, you have it easy. You can screenshot it. Uh, Passover is the first Thursday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. Are you guys ready? Altar call? Good? <laughs> if you do, you know, I'll pray for you after. Vernal equinox, what is that? That's the day that the sun crosses the equator. It's the first day of spring. The vernal equinox is the first day of spring. And it's part of the lunar calendar, which tells us uh, when the vernal equinox, that's the first day of spring, the autumnal equinox, that's fall, the winter solstice, that's when there's the least sunlight, and the summer solstice, that's the most sunlight, right? The lunar calendar tells us. So, uh, you know, in Arizona, uh, if you've been here for the summer, you know that week in June that feels like the sun is trying to murder you more than the other days it feels like it's trying to murder you in the summer? That's that equinox, right? If there's more sunlight, it's coming for you. You're like, it feels personal. It is, right? It is personal. So the date of Easter always follows Passover. When is Passover? Let's hit that slide again. Passover is the first Thursday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. Someone's arguing with you online, slide that baby in, set it off. They'll be like, I'm sorry, what? Passover is the first Thursday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. Here's what's important. Easter is not a standalone event. Some people, it's a standalone event, like they come to church on Easter, and that's what they do. But Easter is not just a standalone event. It's a part of a massive work of God reconciling his people to himself. It's part of something that begins all the way in the Garden of Eden when God promises to send a Redeemer. See, holidays, they're distinct, but they're linked. So Easter... And Palm Sunday and Passover, they're all linked. It's kind of like this. If you were to take the Star Wars movies, any Star Wars fans? Okay, anybody who understands how movies work? Good, okay, good. That was a bigger number. Uh, if you were to take a trilogy, that's three movies. You guys just said you're movie fans, so you know this. Uh, three movies together. If you just watched the last movie, it could be good, but it's confusing, Right? Like, I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan, and my wife was a big Harry Potter fan, and so we'd watch the movies, and I'd kind of, like, not pay attention. And so uh, in the seventh one, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so I watched the seventh one, but I didn't understand what was happening. I was like, wait, it's like a snake, and then there's, like, a sword, and are they unaccompanied minors? What is happening? Where are their parents? Like, he doesn't have parents. I'm like, why? They're like, you should watch the movies, right? I'm like, oh, okay, because there's context. Right? If you watch Star Wars and you get to the end, you're like, why is this guy in all black and this other guy in all black not like this one kid, but he keeps calling him son? It's like, you missed it, right? It was part of a trilogy. It, they all work together. That is the best way I can understand, or I can explain how we need to understand Passover, Palm Sunday, and Easter. It's not that you can't come to Easter and not totally get a powerful message about the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of Christ makes a lot more sense when you know that he died, and you know why he had to die. Are you with me? It makes a lot more sense when it's like, oh, I understand why he had to die, versus it's kind of like, he's risen. Like, oh, I didn't know he was dead. 
but good for him. <laughs> so today, when we understand Palm Sunday, we understand Easter better. In order to understand Palm Sunday better, we got to understand Passover. Somebody say Passover. Let's talk about Passover today. What is Passover? Passover is a festival uh, where the Israelites celebrate God delivering them out of their slavery and captivity in Egypt. I'm actually wearing, totally incidentally, I should have planned it this way, but I didn't. Uh, I'm wearing our Dreamer shirt. We did a series. You might have seen people wearing these shirts. They have this big logo on the back. We did a series about um, Joseph and his dreams. And in the story of Joseph, in the narrative of Joseph's life, we know that uh, he was sold into slavery. We talked about this in that series. He was sold into slavery. He was taken to Egypt. And his brothers who sold him into slavery eventually came to Egypt, all Israelites, came to Egypt because there was a famine, and they came to get food, and then there was this whole reconciliation. They realized that it was him. They were like, no, <laughs> but then they were excited, and uh, they all came to Egypt, and so during the famine, the people of Israel, the, the, the descendants of Abraham, who God promised to bring a Messiah through, came to Egypt, and they settled a land called Goshen, and they grew, and they became mighty. Now, interestingly enough, you guys okay with just a brief moment of history? Okay, good. Brief moment of history. Interestingly enough, the people who ruled Egypt when Joseph's family came were Semitic people. You might have heard the phrase anti-Semitic, and that's usually applied strictly to Jewish people because they are a group of Semitic people. But Semitic was a term for a group of people and Semites of a certain area. So they were Canaanite, uh, Semitic people. Like, So Semitic isn't just specifically distinguishing of Hebrews. Are you with me? So the people who ruled Egypt when the Semitic Israelites came and settled were also Semitic. And what happened was Ramses II rose up and drove the Semitic people and that Pharaoh out of Egypt and people from the lower basin of Egypt who were much darker and looked like how you would picture Egyptians looking like took over. And then there was this group of wealthy, powerful Semitic people, though not associated with the ruling class, who all lived in a very beautiful area. And the people who recently drove out Semitics were like, we don't like that. And so they were anti-Semitic. Still with me? The Israelites were those people that were oppressed. They weren't the ruling class that were driven out. They were those that became oppressed, and they became slaves because the new Pharaoh did not want them in power. He did not want them to grow. He did not want them in authority. And so what do you do when you're a racist? You make it people slaves. And that's what they did. They enslaved them. And in their slavery, the people of Israel began to cry out to God. In their harshness, in their slavery, they begin to cry out to God. And when they would cry out to God, they would use this word, Hosanna. Hosanna. It's a powerful word. It means God save us. Hosanna. They would gather together, you know, very communal setting. They gather together and they would cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. God save us. God rescue us. God deliver us. They would cry out for help. And God heard their prayer. And God sent Moses, you might have heard of Moses, God sent Moses to basically save his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, to bring him out. 
But I don't have time to sum up the whole thing, but let me basically give you the cliff notes here. Moses goes, shows a sign, says, hey, you need to let my people go. Pharaoh says, not a chance, because, again, I think we can kind of assume what happens when you let a million people in slavery go off to a different nation. They're not coming back. So he says, not a chance. I'm not letting you out at all. And, that, and then there's a plague. So that's the formula. There's a sign. Pharaoh says, nope. And then there's a plague. There's a sign. Pharaoh says, not a chance. There's a plague. There's a sign. Moses, like, turns the river to blood. Pharaoh's like, no. And then there's a plague. The blood. <laughs> there's all this kind of stuff, right? Over and over and over and over and over again. Sign, denial, plague. Sign, denial, plague. Till it gets to the point, and God says, listen, I've hardened Pharaoh's heart, and now, now I'm going to bring my people out of Israel by my might and my power. Why? Because he didn't want any doubt in anyone's mind that this was his power. It's not like Pharaoh randomly got magnanimous and could take credit for it. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, I just decided to let them go to pardon them, and that was all me. That wasn't right. It was going to be very clear that God brought them out of Egypt. And so the tenth plague is the plague of death. Pharaoh is in complete defiance, and so God says, listen, I will free my people. Re remember this. This is important to remember. The people of God that are in Israel, the descendants of Abraham— and it's through Abraham that God promised to bring a Messiah for all creation. That's important. He says, They're not, you're not going to kill my people. Pharaoh's killing all the firstborn. He's murdering every firstborn child, every firstborn male of the Hebrews. Why? Because he didn't want them to grow and expand. He didn't want a Messiah to come. So he says, I'm going to murder them. God takes the murdering of children personally. And so here's what happens. He sends the angel of death. And the angel of death comes over Egypt. And in fact, let's just read it together. If you have your Bible, would you uh, go with me to that Exodus chapter 12? I want to walk through this. Because God's going to say, listen, an angel of death is going to come over Egypt, but, and he's going to kill the firstborn of every house. But if you slaughter a perfect lamb and, and wipe the blood on the doorpost, death's going to pass over you and you'll be saved. Let, let's look at that. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. And, and just kind of start as we begin through verse 2. Start paying attention to these dates as, as much as you can. We'll pull them out here. It says, verse 2, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house. Okay, so the 10th day. Get this uh, date in your mind or write it down. That's really good, too. Uh, the 10th day is Lamb Selection Day. This is so important. The 10th day, God says, listen, the 10th day is Lamb Selection Day. What kind of lamb? Okay, that's what he says, verse uh, four. It says, the, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. So going together, and he says, verse five, your lamb shall be without blemish. Does anyone uh, translation say something different? I'm so curious. Mine's ESV. Does someone say something different? Shout it out. No defect. Okay, that's good. Some, some say perfect, no defect, without blemish. 
It says your lamb should be without blemish or perfect or without defect, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So on the 10th day, they go throughout all the flocks and they find what kind of lamb? A perfect, spotless lamb. Not the one at the back that you were kind of hoping the wolves would get anyways. You're talking about like primo lamb, right? Like the, the promising, this is a young lamb, perfect, spotless. Okay, it'll make sense in a second why. It says this, uh, verse 6. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So on the 10th day you select the lamb, and on the 14th day you take this perfect spotless lamb, and the whole community slaughters it. Let's go to verse 7. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. I love this. Notice how God has not said why yet. Like he's told Moses. But Moses is telling the people, but he's not said why. This feels very like God to me. He's telling the what, but not the why yet. Like, hey, follow me. Trust me. Listen to me. I'm going to rescue you. And, and it's like, why? It's like, no, no. Obedience comes first. Or like, Listen, and so he's he's gonna tell them though. Don't worry. He's gonna tell them. He says in verse 8 They shall eat flesh the flesh of the lamb that night roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs They shall eat it. So now God has kind of given them their menu, right? He's like, okay tonight I have prepared for you a freshly roasted young lamb that your children had four days to get attached to and uh, Some pita bread and some parsley, right? You're like, what, 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 what an odd choice. Just pick like the saddest meal. You'd think, you know, before you're going to save somebody, you'd be like, and then go big. Get some potatoes, get some mac and cheese, right? Like, what are the things that you want? Get some like, get some, I, don't know, I was going to say ham, but we know that's not going to work. Uh, get some good stuff, right? Some fried chicken, like whatever it is, right? I'm trying to think of the things I enjoy, some prime rib. But he's like, no, get this lamb, get some pita, and get some uh, like parsley, right? Some bitter herbs. Why does he say unleavened bread? Well, uh, Answer that question with another question. Have you recently tried to make bread? I have. Um, <laughs> I always want to make bread at like 8 o'clock at night. And here's what I remember every time at 8 o'clock at night that I want to make bread. You have to prepare. It takes time. Right? When you make bread, you have to use yeast, and yeast takes time to set up. So usually I'm like, man, I'd love to make some bread. Like, I have like an hour free time. I'm like, let's make some bread. And then I like look up the recipe, and I like have this flashback, and it's like, let's set for 24 hours. I'm like, 24 hours? Yeah, I'll totally do that. Dump it in the trash. Flour's like 35 cents. Calm down, guys. <laughs> I'll buy you some flour. You're like, that's so wasteful. I'm like, I don't know. I'm sorry. But it takes time. It takes time to set up. It takes time to, to expand. And he says he's trying to show them something very important here. He's saying, listen, you have been crying out, God, rescue us. God, deliver us. God, save us. And God's like, listen, your salvation is here, and it's going to happen quickly. I want you to be ready. And this is important. This is a, a little principle I, I, I've applied to my life is if God is calling you out, do not get trapped in the provision of your slavery. Meaning this, there are things that, you know, like the, the bread of slavery is not better than the sometimes scary, sometimes difficult, and sometimes uncertain fruit of the promised land, right? 
But if you stay eating the meager provisions of slavery, you, you will miss out on the great calling to go where God has called you, the calling of freedom upon your life. Don't be so attached to the comforts of your slavery and your sin and your brokenness and your place and your despair that you miss when God's calling. Be ready. Some of you, God is calling you out today to a hopeful future, for hope for your future and healing from your past. Don't get caught back here eating this little old loaf of bread. This is what we've, this is what we've always done. This is what I've always done. Yeah, I know, but be ready because God is calling you out. And he's, he's trying to speak something. Remember, the Israelites have been slaves for a long time, hundreds of years. At what point do you kind of stop expecting you're going to be free? Bless you. So he says, get ready. And verse 9, let's keep going. He says, don't eat any of it raw, good call, or boiled in water, but roasted its heads and legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. That's good. You're not coming back here. Can I encourage you? Uh, if you have left a place of slavery, don't leave any of it there. Don't, don't leave anything to come back to. And he says, let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you'll sh you shall burn. And he says, in this manner, you'll eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I love that. He's like, be ready. Be ready. He's telling a group of people that have been in, 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 in this space for a long time. He says, I'm going to call you to something great. Be ready. Be prepared. And here's what he says, verse 12. Everyone still with me? Okay, good. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. It says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Okay, so here's the formula. Let's go through it. Here's the formula. On the 10th day, you go out into the field, and you find a perfect spotless lamb on lamb selection day. On the 14th day, you all come together and you slaughter, you kill that lamb, and then you take that sacrifice, and they, you know, they eat the meat in preparation to go, but you take the blood of that sacrifice, the spotless lamb, and you put it on your doorposts and your lintels, and, and you mark them so when the angel of death comes, he will pass over seeing the blood that has been shed over you and over your house, and the curse and the judgment of death will not befall you. That's the formula. That is what God is instructing them to do. He says, then you will be saved. And then verse 14, he says, the day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. This is important. He says, then you celebrate that death has passed over you. And every year, do this and remember that because of the blood that was shed for you, death passed over you, and you were covered. And so that's what they did. On the 10th day, they selected the lamb. On the 14th day, they slaughtered it. They took the blood as a covering, and the angel came, and the doors that were covered, he passed over, and those that were not, judgment came against them, and death came against them. And here's what happens. If you would escape with me to Exodus 12, verse 30, the words will be on the screen as well. It says this, 
And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. Israel was delivered, not only from slavery, but from the judgment of death that passed over them. It was a moment of salvation, and that is Passover. That's what was celebrated. For the next 1,500 years, the people celebrated Passover. On the first Thursday, after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox, the Jewish people would celebrate Passover. They would celebrate the moment that they were rescued from captivity and from death. And as an act of remembrance, they would gather together and they would shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They would gather as a community and they would shout, God save us, God rescue us, God deliver us. And God would send them prophets. God would send them prophets, and the prophets would say, listen, the Lord is going to send a Savior. The Lord is going to send a greater Moses. The Lord is going to send the Messianic King and the Suffering Servant. The problem is they didn't think those two people were going to be the same person. He says, I'm going to send someone to rescue you. And so they waited expectantly for 1,500 years. Hosanna, Hosanna. In Israel, Hosanna. In the desert, Hosanna, 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 right? In Israel, Hosanna, Hosanna. In exile, Hosanna, Hosanna. In Babylon, Hosanna, in Hosanna. In the return, into the Greeks, under the Roman Empire, Hosanna. Get, get, just picture this for a second. Imagine for eight histories of America stacked in a line crying out Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna for your family. Think, it's hard for us to picture this. 1,500 years. That's a long time. 1,500 years. God setting prophets saying, listen, someone's coming. And so 1,500 years after the Exodus, the Israel, Israelites are under the Judicial authority in the oppressive reign of the Romans, and the Romans were quite good at oppressing people. They were uh, excellent at brutal murders, taxation, all kinds of brutality against people that they subjugated. And so in that moment, they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And on this day that we're going to read about in just a second, it's the 10th day. Anyone remember what the 10th day was? 10th day. Lamb Selection Day. So it's Lamb Selection Day. 1,500 years later, 1,500 years of crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. 1,500 years of subjugation. 1,500 years of crying out. God rescue us. God save us. And on the 10th day, 10th day, Israelites are going throughout the city and the flocks and the hills, and they're looking for a spotless lamb for them and their family, the spotless lamb that is going to symbolically once again remember when death passed over. When death passed over, they're going to bring the lamb in, and they're going to cry, God, rescue us. God, save us. God, deliver us. And you have to think about that moment where you're remembering the saving and the salvation from death, from judgment, and all of a sudden Jesus rides into town. What's amazing to me is that Jesus wasn't even the first one to ride into town in this similar way. Do you know in the hundred years leading up to Jesus, there were 12 messianic revolts? There were 12 individuals that claimed messianic roots that rose up. 
Judah Maccabee, very famous in the Maccabean revolts, rose up, said, I have authority and power, came in, defeated, I think for him it was the Seleucid army. He rose up, he came in, he cleansed the temple, he cast people out, he cleansed the temple, he rode in with a horse, and you know what they shouted when he rode in? I'll give you a guess. Hosanna. They put palm leaves on the ground. They said, this has got to be him. This has to be him. Look how powerful he is. He's got such a nice horse, and he has such a good army. This has got to be the guy. And I'll tell you what, Judah Maccabee died and also stayed dead. And that's an important characteristic. Messiahs can't stay dead. Over and over, they had this promise, the might and the military and, and the power and the authority. He's going to ride in with his soldiers. He's going to ride in having won a victory. That's how he's coming back, right? And then here comes Jesus. Jesus rides in not with the military power, but the authority of heaven. Not the might that the world sees, but the meek and mighty that God sees. He rides in not with the army, but on a donkey like the prophet said. You can't do a lot of conquering on a donkey. Not a lot. You can cross the Andes with the military, but you can't do a lot of conquering on a donkey. I mean, it's been done. But he comes in in this meek and mild position, but also of complete and total authority on the day when people are searching their flocks for the perfect and spotless Lamb of God. Here's what happens. Matthew 21, verse 8. I just want to read it to you today. It says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. It says, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I'll tell you what, they did not expect Jesus. Because he, he didn't look like what they thought. Didn't look like what the world thought he would look like. But here in this moment on Lamb Selection Day, as they're searching for the spotless lamb to pay the ransom of death and deliverance for the life, to remember that they were saved by the innocent blood that was shed, Jesus rides in. And God is saying and says in this moment, I have chosen the spotless lamb for you once and for all. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is why Palm Sunday matters. Hear, hear me this morning. If you, if you haven't heard anything else, hear me this morning. This is why we have a million palms in the front of our stage. Yes, it preps us for Easter. Yes, it prepares us. Yes, it looks really cool. But it is crucially important that this is the day that Jesus came to your rescue. He's not coming to your rescue. He's not hopefully will come rescue you. He already came to your rescue 2,000 years ago. He knowingly and willingly rode into Jerusalem, not with military might and power to establish an authority in Judea, but he rode in knowing that he would die for your sins as the perfect and spotless lamb. On the 10th day, on lamb selection day, God selects Jesus for us. Luke twenty-two nineteen 19 says, He took the bread... Jesus, he, he gathers then on Thursday with his disciples. He comes in with his disciples, and he sits down with them in Jerusalem, having ridden, and he sits down, and he says, and he took the bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. At the beginning, I asked, why, why the blood? Well, his disciples would have understood, and I think even us that were detached from the ancient Near East understanding of this, I think we would have, we understand blood as a symbol of life, right? If you don't have any blood, you're not living. Pretty straightforward. We give blood. Why? Because we want to keep people alive, right? If you get a cut, you put your hand on it. Why? Because you need that in your body. Blood is deeply and obviously symbolic of life. But they would have understood this idea because they would have, and their families would have for 1,500 years, sacrificed. The difference is that sacrifice was a shadow. Do we know the difference between a shadow and a substance? Right? The shadow is something that represents something that is substantial and real, right? The, the lamb and the sacrifice was, was a shadow, not meaning it was bad, but it was a shadow. It was a reflection of what was to come, that is Jesus Christ. The lamb was supposed to point to the lamb of God who would come to take away the sins of the world. Jesus came to be the sacrifice for us. Why the blood? Because his life had to be laid down and sacrificed in exchange for our life that we laid on the altar of sin. For our life that is subject to the wrath of God because God is perfect and we have chosen rebellion in sin. So he chose to lay down his life. Do we, are we getting the connection? He is the lamb. He is the sacrifice. It's not, has nothing to do with a deep love of blood. It's a recognition of the life that was the blood that was shed for you and I so that we might have eternal life. Listen, we have a debt that cannot be paid. The debt of my sin cannot be paid because I am not a spotless lamb. I am not perfect. I can't take my debt upon myself. I can't pay it. But Jesus steps down into time, into the dirt of this world, suffers, walks through life, is tempted, lives with humanity, and then goes to the cross and is nailed to the cross. And in going to the cross, the hands that were pierced were pierced for me. This is why Easter is so important. It's not the eggs or the egg hunt. Though the egg hunt is just going to be fire. It's going to be amazing. It's not about the events. It's not about brunch. It's not about services. Good Friday, we recognize that Jesus went to the cross for us. And then on Easter, we celebrate that he didn't stay there. He didn't stay in the cross. He didn't stay in the grave. He took your sins upon the cross, and he took them in the grave. But when Jesus rose up, he left the grave closed. He left your sin. He left it there. You're not waiting for him to die for your sins. He's already done it. He's waiting for you to accept the love that he has displayed on the cross. It's done. It is finished. It's completed. He cares for you. Jesus came to take our sin and shame. And in the end, I'll give you the Easter spoiler here just real quick. He wins. Right? He won. But we can clap for that. Yeah. We're like, oh yeah, we are a Pentecostal church. <laughs> he won. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man, you can come up. 
He's talking about Jesus here, the perfect, sinless Messiah. He came to be sin for us. You know, this phrase, I'll give you another phrase here, substitutionary atonement. If you're writing notes, write this down, substitutionary atonement. Let me explain what that means. It's substitutionary because Jesus died in our place, right? He died for us, and it's atonement because atonement means to cover, to wipe, to wash away. He died in our place to wipe away our sins. Jesus died to take the debt of our sins. Maybe you've never been in church. You're like, okay, what does this mean that he's taking our sins? Okay, sin is when you and I put ourselves in God's place. But salvation is when God came, when Jesus came, and put himself in our place. Martin Luther called this the wonderful exchange. Let me read you a quote. Is that okay? Okay, good. Says that that is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners, wherein by a wonderful exchange our sins are no longer ours but Christ, and the righteousness of Christ not Christ but ours. He's emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he's taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. In the same manner, he grieved and suffered in our sins. It was confounded in the same manner. We rejoice and glory in his righteousness. This is the wonderful exchange that Jesus transferred the debt of sin from us onto himself. See, we bring our brokenness. This is crazy. Okay, I just, have you thought of, even if you've been a believer for like a hundred years, I think we just need to think about this for a second. If you've never heard this, hear this today. Jesus takes, we bring, right, our brokenness, our failures, our sin, our worst moments, we bring it all to Jesus. We bring it all to his feet. And God, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, loves us so much that he takes it willingly upon himself to the cross. What a terrible deal for him, right? What kind of deal is that? Here's all my brokenness, and I get, oh, your righteousness and your glory and the freedom and the mercy. What, who makes that deal? Someone who loves you more than you can ever possibly understand. That's who makes that deal. A God of love who deeply and completely and totally loves you. You're like, I don't feel like I deserve that. It doesn't matter. He still loves you. You're like, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. You can't tell me anything that exists that is great on earth that's greater than the love that came from heaven for you. He loves you and cares for you. And he took it to the cross. Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. In exchange for our brokenness and our sin, Jesus gives us his righteousness. In the end, Jesus knows God will judge the world. But when he looks at you and I, he does not see our sin or our shame. He sees the blood of Jesus and his righteousness covering us. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Why is Palm Sunday important? Because God 
delivered his people through Moses and gave them the shadow of what was to come, the symbolic understanding of the salvation they've received. And for 1,500 years, on the 10th day, on Lamb Selection Day, they would find a perfect, spotless lamb to be slaughtered on the 14th day to remember their salvation for 1,500 years. And it was God's plan that on that day of searching, on that day of longing, on that day of yearning, Jesus would come into Jerusalem to be the lamb that would take away our sin and our shame for all eternity. Why did he do it? Why did Jesus have to die? St. Corinthians told us to reconcile us to himself through Christ. Listen, God loves you so much that he was willing to suffer immensely for your salvation because he wants to live in loving communion and relationship with you because he cares for you. Did you know that? This isn't even my notes, but I feel like someone needs to hear today because you've heard a weird view on God. But God cares for you. God loves you and values you. God cherishes you. God, Jesus has given his life for you and rose again in victory to invite you into relationship. On Passover, we remember by the blood of of the innocent death passed over. Upon Sunday, we remember that Jesus came, has come, has already, has already come to rescue you. You don't have to wait any longer. And on Easter, when we gather, we celebrate that we are invited into the resurrection of life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As you stand, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm just going to ask you to respond in two ways. The very first way is this. Maybe some of you is for the first time, and maybe it's some of you again. You need to hear it said that God has come to rescue you, to save you, and to deliver you. Some of you, you need to remember that, that God has saved you, that God has rescued you, and that God has delivered you. You don't need to live in sin and shame for a moment longer. You don't need the weight of that on your shoulders. You don't need to prove anything. You don't need to earn anything. You don't need to walk through some certain steps. Jesus is here to have relationship with you if you would give him your heart and say, I choose to follow you. I say yes to you today, Jesus. It's one of many yeses. Every day you say yes to Jesus, but this is the most important one. So if you're here today and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus with your life, you don't even need to wait to Easter. Or maybe you've made the decision, but it's been a long time, and you say, Jesus, I'm choosing again to follow you. Would you do me a favor, in person, online, this is just a you and Jesus moment. Would you just lift your hand up and down, say, I choose to follow you today, Jesus. I want to pray for you. And would you just agree with me, church? Jesus, we thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We thank you, Jesus, that by your blood that was shed on the cross, our sin and shame are gone. And so, God, we take all of our brokenness and we lay it at your feet and we thank you for the exchange, the beautiful exchange of mercy and salvation. God, so I pray for those here today and online today, everybody joining with us, God. I pray that those who make that choice say, I choose to follow Jesus. We thank you that their sin is taken away, that their sin and shame as far as the east is from the west. And like your scripture says, if they're in you, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We pray for hope for the future and healing for the past. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you do this with me in this place? Would you grab this card one last time?
I'm going to pray over these, and then I'm going to encourage you to respond in an active space of worship and responding with this card. And it's very simply this. I'd like you to write one person, but no more than three, but at least one person that you're going to bring to Easter. If you're online, even easier, send an email. They can be anywhere. If you can't join us in person, you're still joining us in person online. It's still in person. There's people with you. But I want to encourage you right now to be praying for this. This is a big deal. Who am I going to bring to Easter? I, I wrote one last week and I asked that person and they're coming, so I got to pick a new one today. But I want to encourage you. If you did that, you're like, yeah, I'm going to come. Pick somebody else. Keep inviting saying, listen, I'm going to make that call and that choice because there's something about Easter where people are just willing to come and hear the gospel. Like, oh, this is just a church. They just want to fill the church up. Yes, you're right. I do. I want to fill it with broken, dirty, messy people who don't feel like they deserve to be loved by God and I want them to hear every moment that they are beautiful and precious to Him and they are loved by Him and there is hope and healing in Jesus Christ. Amen? I want, I want heaven full let's pray and then I invite the band to play and as they do I encourage you just write a name down here but Lord God we pray today for boldness we pray for boldness in the name of Jesus God that we're not here for the glory on the name of the building we're here for the glory the name in heaven that is Jesus Christ so God we pray today over these lives that are that we are going to write on these cards we pray for an openness and a softness of heart and I pray, God, not that we might be exalted, but we just so desperately long, so desperately long that all people would experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. So, God, open our eyes and our hearts. And as we recognize through this moment of worship the great gift you've given us through salvation and the great work that you've done, Jesus Christ, may it stir our hearts to share that gospel, to not be the end and the stopping point of that gospel, but that like a river we would take that gospel to others, into homes and businesses and schools, into our community, God. We pray in Jesus' name.